Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To infiltrate the Oscars with our movie on how to save a mockingbird? Yeah, yeah, wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, oh, oh yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Hey folks, uh, welcome to... (coughs) I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just fine. Welcome to A versus B Double Feature, where you got uh, double the coronavirus, double the McKay. (laughs) I had to, man. I had to start off that way, but I think I messed up the mic. How you doing, Brad? I'm doing well. It's it's a fine Saturday morning. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is a fine Saturday morning. Not many people downtown. I mean, I think we know why. I know. But I found parking so easy today. Yeah, I did too. I was like, this is too convenient. This is too convenient. <sighs> but, uh, but you know, I, 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 sh- I should make this right. I should make this right. It's double the true crime story, double the McKay. I feel like that's the better opener right there. Oh, yeah. Especially because Adam McKay, he's known for a lot of comedies and everything like that. But today we're going to war his like documentary side of movies. Yeah, it's it's funny you call him documentary side. I call him like you know just true crime comedy, you know, yeah. um, or you know maybe not true crime but true story comedy. So today we're comparing The Big Short versus Vice, uh, two strong Oscar contenders in their day, man. Um, Adam McKay, we know him for his Will Ferrell comedies, you know, Anchorman, Step Brothers. Did he do Talladega Nights? I feel like he, he did. He did Talladega Nights. Talladega Nights. Um, he also did Anchorman 2. He did... I'm trying to remember the other ones that he did. Well, I mean, you... you Almost anything with Will Ferrell in it. He pretty much... Yeah. It was him. He's got a strong... During that time, yeah. Strong comedic background. And, you know, the big short was more of a turn from him. So, um, you want to just hop into the big short? Oh, yeah. Let's hop into the big short, which you said. Uh, so we let's go down the great list, great cast here, man. We got Steve Carell, Christian Bale, who was, I feel like him and Ryan Gosling were the MVPs of this movie. Oh, 100%. Christian Bale played a great, was a great role. We had Ryan Gosling, we had Brad Pitt, who I felt was I, you know, he, he, he did, he played his part, but he, he was a little bit of an interesting role in the movie. He was interesting. But yeah, 100%. I think everybody that was in this movie did great. And then you also had like the cameo. I can't remember who the chef was that cameos in oh, it for yeah. a minute. I know Anthony Bourdain, rest in peace. Okay, yeah. And then uh, Margot Robbie even has a cameo in it and stuff, playing these like little minor roles to kind of explain things. Yeah, you had Selena to, Gomez. Like, yeah, Selena know. Gomez. Yeah, I feel like that's a great thing that Adam McKay did uh, with this film. Like, have celeb- have like celebrity cameos that are like so blatant like it's like you know who this person is yeah. but they're explaining this like now was it a stock market crash or was it a financial- it was the housing market crash the housing market crash yeah. and they're complaining this thing that they're explaining this thing which you know you wouldn't any average person would not know what this stuff was or what really happened with the housing market crash like i know i didn't know but the big short with the celebrity cameos they helped explain it 
Oh, yeah. And I feel like as a filmmaker, that's the best thing you can do. Yeah, because they were doing the story that was kind of going through and progressing, like going through the events and everything. And then right, every once right. in a while, they'd stop and go, okay, you're not going to understand this. So here's Margot Robbie in a bathtub to explain what uh, re- right. this refinancing situation is and why this is a big deal. Here's this famous person. Yeah out of nowhere telling you what this is like yeah. i love that that meta filmmaking i think the one with did. selena gomez was like the best analogy one of like the placing bets on bets of other bets that people were placing mm-hmm. and just watching it continue on and they were like and we're already like 200 steps down this line at this point right <laughs> of people placing bets on other people's bets Definitely. so just one thing going wrong is gonna mess up all of these people's day <laughs> Yeah, I I enjoyed this film, man. What do you love most about The Big Short? Uh, So when I first saw this one, I actually saw it as in an economics class, like about probably a couple months after it came out on like Blu-ray. The teacher like brought it in and everything like that. And I had known like Adam McKay's other movies and everything like that, but this one just never hit my radar when it was like in theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but seeing it like in, in like the retrospect of having a teacher actually go, "This is real. This this is one hundred percent real. This is how it went. We're not going to read it in a book because this movie presents it a lot better than the book." Oh wow! And that was like the kind of thing for me that I remember most about the movie in terms of it's presenting the information in a way that like the common like general audience can understand it because the housing crisis is a huge thing from 2008 and a lot of people still really don't understand what happened they just know something happened and all the money was gone you know i'm glad this film kind of laid it out in, in in comparison to another film that i do like uh syriana i don't know if you remember that one I don't recall that one. Um, Steven Sodenberg was the producer, but George Clooney was in it, um, Jeffrey Wright, and it was mostly about like like oil. Told, okay. Like the, the fight, the battle over oil told from different points of view. That film is complex and confusing, but it works. You know, like even the director himself said, I don't want people to know like a strong idea of what is happening in this film. Just know that it's chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this film, I feel like they it, it's chaos, but it's chaos explained. Yeah, so even... So the uh even the people that were involved in these events that like this was all based on like uh trying to think Steve Carell's character uh the person that he was based on has actually gone through and gone yeah while they did things like a little out of order and everything in that movie it basically he got the tone of what I was feeling the entire time this was happening dead on mm-hmm. like he didn't actually go to like a strip club to talk to a stripper to find out, you know, how many houses she has. But he went through like data to do and he was like, that wouldn't have been as exciting to watch. It wouldn't have been as thrilling to watch. Well you still gotta make but you a movie. Got the same information from that scene as otherwise. And he actually applauded Anna McKay for that of figuring out ways to make it entertaining while still keeping the information true. Yeah, I I, I thoroughly enjoyed this film, man. Um character development wasn't bad either especially with christian bale's character and uh i love how ryan gosling he's just like the he's like the side character that doesn't really have the good morals in place but he knows what's going on and he's 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 doing he's doing what's expected of him and in the end when he gets his big check he says what you expecting me to be the good guy yeah (laughs) like that's just a great moment the entire time he's going through the movie going you realize that this is going to screw you a lot 
mm-hmm. but eventually you're going to get that Sunday. I might get the sprinkles and the cherry if I'm lucky, but you're going to get the whole Sunday. I'm still getting some. That's why I'm helping you on this. Right, you know, right. I am no way the good guy here. I'm just a guy that's helping you, you know, get everything you want, and I'm scraping a little bit off the top myself. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I, I got to say, like, the most interesting story, which uh, was Christian Bale's character, if you ever look into that guy in real life, he is one of the people that, like, I think it even says it at the end of the movie. The FBI has been investigating him since 2008. Like, almost every year, a new investigations put on him. And every time he's like, just come talk to me. It's all good. I'll, I'll talk to you guys. I'll tell you what I found and everything like that. He's published, like, two books about stuff or... Mm at the very least, contributed to two books about it. He did seem like an idiosyncratic character that knew what was going on before yeah. everybody else did. Like he, he, Well, he's the one that started all the shorts on the investment interests. Mm-hmm. So, and that is how it actually happened, too. His per- he was the person that first saw that the housing market was going to crash because people weren't paying for these mortgages that were rated as, there's no way these wouldn't be paid off kind of ratings yeah and on top of that um yeah he, he seems like an idiosyncratic character but i wanted to name out a key scene of my a key scene that is so adam mckay that it i, I can't believe it fits so well in this film it's when um the people the two young guys who were working with brad pitt who brad pitt was was helping out yeah they went to um the guys from the garage kind of yeah yeah kind of like the steve jobs and um uh steve Wozniak kind of pair they went to, a, I think it was a bank or something, because they were trying to, um, I forgot what they were trying to, they, they, they were they were giving out, looking for an investment or something like that. And they said, okay, so what's your, uh, what's your profit? And they said, okay, well, we're at this level, and the guy that's talking with them, and God bless his heart, because he actually sat down with them and gave them, like, like, five minutes of his time, he says, okay, well, we're looking for a profit this big, and you're down here. And they're looking, and they're looking at him like, oh, so you're basically politely telling us to fuck off. Oh, pretty yeah. much <laughs> like, oh that's because uh they're like well how much do you have we have like 50 million that we've gotten off of like a hundred thousand so really good gains really good gains but we want an isda which is the contract to actually be able to do like big trades and mm-hmm. everything like that and the character is like well you're kind of off by a little like how much like 1.4 billion five or nine hundred fifty million <laughs> yeah like it's in that moment where it's like you know you're fucked but god bless this guy for even talking to them and telling them look oh, yeah. you shouldn't be here but i'll entertain you yeah and i love how even that scene where they like find the book to figure it out and everything right. they're like okay so it didn't actually happen this way in reality, I discovered it through the newspaper, and he discovered it from talking to one of his buddies about, like, housing estate. So, we didn't just stumble on it in, like, the break room of a bank. Right. Yeah. You know, but because filmmaking, yeah, we're going to do it this way. This is more way. interesting. Right, 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 <laughs> just right. Just kind of keep the movie going. We're going to do it this way, and we're going to move on. <laughs> it's funny, because it's that type of meta filmmaking that made the big short special, but when he tried to when McKay tried to catch lightning a bottle twice with Vice it kind of it, it the the effect wear it off i mean we still got we, do we still got more to talk about with big short i think so cuz it's uh just going through the progression of the movie 
it mm-hmm. not only explained things to a general audience the way that they could understand, but for the first time, like the average person was kind of talking about the housing crisis in a way that they weren't going. Just all the money was gone. I don't get it. Because you can watch documentaries on it and everything like that, and they're confusing. Mm-hmm. They're hard to kind of keep up with and everything like that on the housing crisis. It's kind of the same with, like, Enron. There's only one really good documentary that explains Enron. The Big Short is, like, the best way to kind of explain what happened with the housing crisis. You don't like Alex Gibney's documentary, Enron, The Smartest Guys in the Room? That That's the one good Enron documentary. Okay, okay. There's a lot out there on Enron and mm-hmm. everything that happened there. But that's the one good one that if you're going to watch a documentary about Enron and want to understand it at the end, it's smartest guys in the room. Okay. So Big Short kind of has that stranglehold on the housing market crisis. Well, I think one of the main things I love about the film is that it doesn't have an upbeat, happy ending. Oh, no. It ends with, you know. It ends in reality. Yeah, the shit hits the fan and, you know. Uh, you got Steve Carell on the top of a building on the phone, like, "Hey, man, you, like, I think he had to sell or something, or he had to take the buyout or whatever." And he's just faced with the decision, like, "All right, I'll just, I'll take the buyout," you know. And you just hear, yeah. like, I feel like during the end credits, you just hear like the pitter patter of like New York traffic, mm-hmm. while you know, while they're showing like this person ended up here, this person ended up there, and I was like, "Man, that's that's a ballsy ending." Well, it's how it actually ended with yeah. the bank bailout happening and everything like that. Yeah, you, you, you're you grounded in reality. Yeah, it, it's insane like how history repeats itself, too, because the same thing kind of just happened this last week for the <laughs> stock market bailout of $1.5 I can just picture people on the stock floor saying, I'll give you a fucking COVID-19 if you don't fix this right now. Yeah. Or like, you know, like... <laughs> So it's kind of funny to see kind of that repeat of like everything's going down and everybody kind of knew that there was something coming that it would go down because things were going up for so long in like no pattern. And now it's like, well, we got to bail them out to get them back up to those. No, it's not working either. (laughs) That's the best part. The stock market is a crazy game. Um, It's a crazy thing to be explained. But once you know it, you know it. And I feel like this film, as far as this portion of the market, the housing market, it. um, Yeah. Yeah. Adam McKay hit it out of the park. And I, I love the the character, like the journeys the characters go through in this film. Like, you know, you, you, you mentioned Steve Carell, who I feel like Christian Bale was the most interesting character, but I like I put Steve Carell right behind him. I would say Steve Carell's character probably had the most screen time in terms of like an interesting story. Yeah. Christian Bale's character was mostly in an office kind of listening to music and people going, you're wrong about this. Why are you doing this? And him going, I'm I'm not wrong, though. You might yeah. think it's wrong because you're looking at the data as they're presenting it and not how it is. Yeah. So it, everybody, I just loved all the stories because it was the three main stories. You had the garage band kind of brokers that were trying to hit it big. You had Steve Carell's firm that was very anti kind of investor-ish kind of investing mm-hmm. and then you had christian bale's character of discovering this entire thing yeah and while none of those three stories even intersect or anything they're just all con- you know going concurrently throughout the story and it's a yeah. very nice way of storytelling too going back and forth between them when none of them even meet each other there's no point where all three of them group together and they go oh man you guys are doing the same thing because that didn't actually happen. 
they didn't find out about each other until years later. I don't know if this is the right word, but I, I kind of like the guilt that Steve Carell's character had. Oh, yeah. As he's going about, because he's like... He has a conscience the entire time. He has a time. conscience. He has a conscience, right. And I, 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 like how, I like how Steve Carell conveys that. Like, I feel like... I try to tell people, comedians have the easiest transition to drama because they're playing a role on stage. I mean, mm-hmm. some comedians are just transparent, like that's them on stage. But what I mean is, when you're making people laugh, you're, you're, you're smoothing into a role, whether it's dramatic or not. You look at Jim Carrey... Every time he's in the drama, whether it's good or not, he knocks it out the park. Oh, yeah. Steve Carell knocks it out the park. I mean, there are exceptions like Foxcatcher, a movie I love, by the way, but I felt like I was watching Steve Carell play Michael Scott play a psychopath. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with that synopsis. <laughs> I mean, it of that works. Movie. It works, you know, but the film is like, you know, it, it had like some, I think the laughs were intentional in Foxcatcher, but that's a whole nother conversation. But I like Steve Carell in drama. Oh, yeah. I think I always hear people like that watch The Office. They'll watch something else with Steve Carell, and they're like, right. "Why is he so sad in all his movies?" Right, like Little Miss Sunshine, <laughs> yeah. an, actual, an actual comedy where he is sad, but he does it well. Oh yeah, he, he's a fantastic actor. Uh, I still remember him on The Daily Show. Oh yeah, that, that was, and then him starting to get into The Office and then movies and everything. And I just followed him the entire time, just going, "Oh man, I love this guy." <laughs> One of my favorite bits from him on the on the Daily Show was um he was going to this town where there was a there was a channel I don't know if it was in Canada or whatever but there was a public access channel where it was just filming a fireplace and Steve Carell was sitting back talking with somebody and so and he was like so why do you not like this channel I just don't like it you know it's a fireplace like why is it made why is it on my TV Steve Carell was sitting back talking to him and you could hear his internal dialogue he says and that's when I figured out this guy is a fucking idiot. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> oh, yeah. All of his bits from The Daily Show are right. great. I'd buy a Blu-ray of his bits from The Daily Show if they yeah. ever release that. He's a high comedic talent. Um, yeah, overall, across the board, uh, this film was it was, a, it was a knockout the park. Did Adam McKay write this solely or he wrote this with somebody else? Uh, it's actually based on a book written by somebody that was following the entire housing crisis. So the okay. rights to that book were bought, and then they added Adam McKay on as director, and then he helped rewrite parts of it to make it a little bit more general audience. Okay. Like the stripper scene and stuff like that. Like It was his idea to have celebrities come in as themselves to explain parts of it. Of course. Because otherwise it was like, it's going to be boring. So, so that part was 100% his idea, and probably one of the things that makes this so memorable is those little scenes is this is it the novel written by the same guy who wrote the novel for moneyball i don't recall okay okay yeah i just remember it's based on a novel that followed the entire marking crash uh i want to say the book is actually has the same name the big short okay uh because yeah the movie studios bought it the rights to it like they do for every book and then they kind of just went adam mckay Bam! You get this one. Yeah, um, I I know with this film right here, um, I was about to say something. This is produced by Will Ferrell because I know Will Ferrell and, uh, produces a lot of Adam McKay's films that he also was in, and I think he produced Vice as well. But uh, are you, you ready to you ready to move on to Vice? We can move on to Vice now. Okay, so what happens? Great for one movie, it it doesn't always happen great for the other. I will say, 
I love Vice. Yeah, I liked it. I liked Vice. It, it's very over the top with how much it's trying to be the big short. Okay, so I feel like a, a director sees that he did something great the first time, and he or she can double down on it in the second movie. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it can be it can have a mixed effect, and I think Vice was a mixed effect. It wasn't a bad movie. Mm-hmm. wasn't a great movie, but I liked it. You know, I'll we'll start off this way. So Vice is about, you know, Vice President Dick Cheney. We follow him from his uh, raucous uh, college days, you know, to growing up in the ranks with uh, working under Donald Rumsfeld yep. to finally being under um, President W. Yes. W. Bush. Well, how um, he was originally going to run for president, but mm-hmm. they knew that his polling numbers wouldn't reach it. So they were like, you can become vice president and kind of secretly be the president behind the scenes. There it is. So we, we, we follow his trajectory. And, you know, when you're watching this film, um, let me just put, put this out here first. Performances were good. Like like Amy Adams, Christian Bale were both great. Um, oh, Christian Bale was fantastic in this movie. He was. I, I, I can take or leave uh, Tyler Perry as Colin Powell because I feel like, and I like Tyler Perry, don't get me wrong, but I feel like anybody could have played that role because Colin Powell wasn't really like a, a a known personality that you can like take and, and put nuances in like you can do with Dick Cheney. When you watch yeah. Dick Cheney talk, there's a personality there that you can take and put in there. I feel like Steve Carell was kind of overdoing it as Rumsfeld in this one. I, I thought that he was good as that role. I thought he, he was he was straight. He was straight, but I could have I could have dealt with with a bit more subdued Rumsfeld. Oh, okay, uh, a, a little more subdued, and I feel like Tyler Perry was a bit more too subdued as Colin Powell. But um, overall, Jesse Plemons as the uh, narrator, whose identity you learn as the film goes on, was great. Uh, Jesse Plemons is always great, but I feel like with Vice, you know that this is a leftist film. Oh yeah, it's very liberal kind of it like is. backing and everything, and they even make the joke at the end of the movie with going, "Ah, oh, this is all just leftist propaganda," but it's all based on facts, right? right like right. somebody fact checked this, you know, right? Right, right. And it's like, in, even in the beginning of the film, it's like you know, uh, we 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 tried our best to the best of our ability to uh, you know um, uh, to to make sure everything in here was facts. We really oh, fucking tried. Oh, like, that's you know, right. Like, <laughs> it goes like based on a true story. Asterix. As true as we could possibly do, as these events are actually kept very secretive, and uh, the Cheneys refuse to, you know, comment on any of the actions. Right. But so we it's really all fucking based tried. on like third person kind of. Right. Right. So with that, you know, Vice, um, I feel like, yeah, it was trying too hard to be the big short because it had a lot of meta-ness to it, but it almost had it to like an exhaustive effect. Like uh, a lot of film, some in some scenes the the meta, the meta filmmaking works. Like I like the bedroom scene where they're talking in Shakespearean language, as oh, you know yeah. Dick Cheney is plan is you know crafting his plan. You know I like that. I thought that was cute. Um, the whole thing, I like some of the Jesse Plemons scenes. The one thing I had a problem with was at the end where he's like. So, yeah, I mean, even though I'm dead right now, I got to say it was kind of a dick move for Dick Cheney to take my heart and not commend me as a soldier. It's like, dude, the guy's dead. He wouldn't have an opinion on that. You know what I mean? I get what it's saying. I get the punchline. But I was like, eh, that seemed a little like you're overdoing the meta-ness. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. 
Like his, having somebody like central that you don't understand what they have to do with the story going right. throughout the story, kind of punching in and kind of going. And here's what was happening during this time, because that was needed for this movie, because otherwise it just be constant jump cuts that make no sense. Because yeah. they would skip entire years. They would just mm-hmm. kind of go, here's him in high school. Here's him getting his first job in government. Here's him getting, like, a major job in government. And they didn't really explain what was going on between the lines. It was just Jesse kind of going, and he would go through this and this and this. And he kind of just explain it. And then they jump back into the movie itself. Yeah, if I, if I, need, a, I, need, if I need a novel-like narration, I'd, I'd read a novel. You know what I mean? I feel yeah. like... The narration could have been better. It could have been, like, again, more subdued. I feel like if Vice was more subdued in this meta filmmaking, it would have been a better film. But because so much of it is in on its own joke, its own true life joke, like, okay, I got I to gotta get into something else. But you, you tell me what you feel about this movie. i just been uh, talking. I can say I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the performances. I enjoyed all of them. Uh, Tyler Perry, I still enjoyed his performance in the movie. Yeah, I enjoyed it, yeah. I, I didn't see like any performance. I was like, that one was wrong. I'm trying to remember who played George W. Bush. Sam Rockwell. Uh, Sam, And, I, and yes. I got some things to say about that, man. Oh, I, I love that one. I thought it was like dead on. As soon as he like came on screen, I was like, okay, it doesn't really look like him. And then, but it was like the younger Bush, like pre-presidential like presidential Bush. And but he had the accent dead on, right from the get go. Dude, I feel like playing George W. Bush, you you can't help but to go into parody because I feel like because George Bush, it, George W. When you look at the performances of Will Ferrell, who, who is more on the comedic side, but is just like George W. Bush, and you look at Sam Rockwell, you look at James Brolin in the Oliver Stone film W. Mm-hmm. They're, they're they're all doing what they should be doing as actors, but it's like it still comes off as parody because George W. Bush was really like that. Yeah. You know, he he, he was W. Yeah, that, that's you know? one of the things is it almost comes <laughs> off as comedic watching his performance because you're like, oh man, it, this is perfect because it is exactly the George W. Bush I remember, which isn't wrong. Right. It isn't wrong. Like, you when, know, that's when, how he came off all the time. It's kind of like I'm waiting for, like, after a president is gone, you kind of wait for that uh, movie about them where you're like, okay, who's going to play them? And how right. is it going to be done? Because it's going to be done really well. Um, I think the I'm trying to remember who it was, but there was one on Bill Clinton where somebody played Bill Clinton and it was just spot on for like his mannerisms and everything. Nixon's another one that everybody always gets like the mannerisms. The yeah, Anthony like, Hopkins played Nixon. Yeah. Um, as far as um, and another art, another actor too. I, I forgot the other actor's name, but Philip Baker Hall. He did a great Nixon in a Robert Altman film mm-hmm. called um, oh, Secret Honor, something like that. Great. Yeah, because a lot of our presidents have a personality about them that it's very easy to mimic and kind of mock a little bit while being one hundred percent spot on for how they actually are. Who's the best W? Farrell, Sam Rockwell, or James Brolin? James Brolin, I think I enjoyed him the most. I gotta say Farrell, man. I gotta say Will Farrell. Will (laughs) Farrell does the best George W. Bush because it's parody, but it's like, dog, you can picture George W. Bush saying this. Yeah, yeah. And we're saying his name right, right? James Brolin, uh, the guy that played Thanos, right? Uh, Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin. My apologies if you listen to this, sir. We're fans. You know, I love No Country for Old Men. Josh Brolin. So you think Josh Brolin's the best W? I I thought he was the best W. On film, the best W. Uh, 
Like, I definitely enjoyed uh, George W. Bush in Vice and everything like that. Right. But in terms of, like, a full movie, W is just... I, I love that movie so much. Yeah, W is a cool film. I also like my man... Uh, shout out to my man from uh, Harold and Kumar 2. Uh, remember when they went? We went. They, they secretly went to George W. Bush's house. Yes. And the guy was still. <laughs> uh, the which one was that? The White Castle. The Guantanamo one? Bay one. Was it the Gu- That's right, because they escaped and right, they, right. Oh yeah, dude. Like, like if you look at all the performances of W. Bush, no one's doing anything wrong because that's who he they're, was. They're doing it exactly right. You know, it's like fool he me just once. Comes off as cartoon. There's a saying in Texas. I know it's in Tennessee. You know, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. You fool me. I can't get fooled again. Like that's that's fool me what, twice. You can't you can't fool me again. Right. You know. You get on that horse. You better ride it. Like, Which, that, that's who W was. Yeah. But the best part is if you actually like watch his speeches and hear like behind the scenes of like his way of thinking is he'd start getting into something without thinking of how it ends. Then he'd realize how it ends and kind of have to flip it up because he knew how the news would redo it. So for right. that one, he couldn't say the word shame on me. Because he knew hey. the news would take that and they'd run with it hey. as far as they could go. So in his head, he's kind of going through it and going, you know, fool me once, shame, shame on, on you. you. Fool me twice, twice. you know, I, I, can't, I, can't fool I, me again. I, I, I can't, can't fool me again. <laughs> and yeah, George Bush quotes are fantastic. It, he was definitely an interesting president to have because you, you knew behind the scenes Things were going on and everything, but in front, it was like watching a cartoon character on TV. Right, right, like, yeah, yeah, poor. I, I, I have more sympathy for him as time goes on. I was like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. And listen, we're not being liberal or snowflakes here. We're just, we're just, oh, yeah. we're just talking on what happened. But um, back to Vice. Uh, yeah, I like Sam Rockwell, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he did, a gr- especially as the movie progressed. Like, at the beginning, I was kind of like, okay, he's got the accent down. He doesn't really look like him. And then as uh, the movie progressed, he kind of started getting the gray hair and everything like that. And it was like, okay, he's he's George W. Bush. This is exactly spot on. Christian Bale and Amy Adams transformed. Uh, Christian Bale, I want to, what was the movie where he lost all the weight? Uh, the Machinist. The Machinist. So he went from weighing probably... 110 pounds something like that i think to putting on like i want to say he was at like 250 for his role in vice that guy he's almost like mac from always sunny Mm -hmm. it's insane he just did the progression the opposite way he's a martian man christian bale is a martian it's like he never heard of fat suits He's a Martian, dude. Yeah, he basically went fat suit. No, 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 no. I'll just, you know, I'll eat ice cream until yeah, I'll, I'll do I it. get there. Uh, I, I need, it needs to be real, man. I can't just be in a suit. Right, he's he's a passionate actor. Yeah, he transformed, man. Like, the looks that Dick Cheney gives when he has the thing where it's like, you, like he has, like, the uh, the, the, the permanent uh, rock... Well, you know, you know the look the Rock used to do where he lift his eyebrow up, like, like, like Dick Cheney's oh, yeah. eyes, like he has like one eye that's smaller than the other, like, like Christian Bale got that down. Oh yeah, he he every single role. Well, even in uh, well, The Big Short, uh, his character has a glass eye, and he'd always be like rubbing that glass eye throughout the entire movie mm-hmm. and everything like that. Yeah, and like holding the paper towel to it and stuff like that and everything like that. So it's not. He jumps into whatever he's thrown into. 
Mm-hmm. I think the only thing that I've like seen him in that I didn't really or that I have the most criticism for is his role as Batman. See, I I don't have a problem with his Batman. A lot of people don't. I just don't like his throat cancer kind of. Oh, I think that was a Nolan choice, wasn't it? Was that a Nolan choice? I I I would assume if no Christopher Nolan didn't like it, he'd tell him to stop. That's true. <laughs> He's like, don't do that, man. Don't, don't, no, cut that shit out. <laughs> no more. Of cut that. that out, mate. Cut that but out. Yeah, I think that's like the only role that I've ever seen him in where I kind of had some criticism on it. Everything else that Bale plays, he jumps into the role perfectly. Oh, American Hustle. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. He he was the pull of that film to me. I, I like to say him and Bradley Cooper. You know, I use I like me some J Law and Amy Amy Adams, but they they were the pull of that movie to me. Oh, one hundred percent. I I can't agree more on that one. Mm-hmm. I keep forgetting about that movie. That was such a good movie. I gotta rewatch that one sometime. Yeah, that movie was all over the place, though. Yeah. It was, but it was an enjoyable movie. That's for sure. Uh, Amy Adams was was great, man. As a uh, uh, Dick Cheney's wife, you remember what her name was? <sighs> I do not. Okay, well, Miss Cheney. She was great as Miss Cheney. Um, okay, so from where the film starts to where it ends, where it ends, I have a problem because really? I, f- I feel like they. they the emotional ending of this movie was kind of like, okay, if you want to end on that point where it's like Dick Cheney is a bad father and she's a bad mother because they don't stand by their homosexual daughter. And, oh, you know, yeah. and it's like uh, you, you start looking at George W. Bush who looks down who realizes he's been played by Dick Cheney. Colin Powell realizes he's been played by Dick Cheney. Donald Rumsfeld realizes he's been played by Dick Cheney. It's like it's this like overpowered emotional monologue saying this guy, the main character of the film, is the bad guy, and he's been the bad guy all along. And then it just It, it was very in-your-face about its message the entire time. Yeah. Like, even it did the whole, like, big short reverse ending kind of thing, where it was like... That was in the middle. Was that? That was the right. Fake, the fake yeah. end credits. Like, Dick Cheney retired, and he chose to live with his family, and, and, you know, he chose to retire next to his wife. That was in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. But they still tried to pull that kind of like, oh, look, everything's happy. No, not really. Right. Let's continue on with the story now. Oh, I wasn't looking for a happy ending. I was looking more so for a... No, like, but that was another one of like Adam McKay kind of going, this worked real good in Big Short. We got to do that again. Here. Right, right, right. Because uh, I don't think Vice is based on a book. I don't think. I'm not sure about that one. Yeah. I did know he wrote this one. He wrote and directed this one solely by himself, uh, Adam McKay. Yeah, yeah. I don't recall this one being. Ba- he, he, of course, he sourced a lot of the stuff and everything, but uh, it, it's hard to like fact check a lot of the stuff because, as it says in the beginning, a lot of this was kept so secretive and everything. It's kind of based on like third person kind of viewpoints. I want to compare the way this movie was made. Like you know, at a liberal movie told about a conservative figure, a, a conservative, a, a movie about a conservative figure made by a liberal filmmaker. Well, we can assume Adam McKay is liberal, but he's telling it from a liberal point of view. Yeah. So we got another movie called Game Change, um, an HBO film, great film, dude, uh, which is about the McCain uh, presidential campaign. You got Ed Harris as John McCain. You got Julianne Moore as Sarah Palin, incredible. You got Woody Harrelson as the chief financial officer, like like the chief strategist of the campaign. Um, So this film was directed by... um, I know Danny Strong wrote it, but I forgot who directed it. Um, I think it's the same dude that did Meet the Parents. Man, who is that guy? Jay Roach. Okay. You you would you would know the films. I don't know if you would know the name, but Jay Roach directed Game Change, and you can tell it's it's 
it's about a conservative um, candidate, and it's told from a. You could tell it has a liberal edge to it, but it wasn't preachy. Like okay. it was laying out the facts. Like, yo, Sarah Palin was not made to be a VP candidate. Mm-hmm. And here are the reasons why things that actually happen. Like it, it's telling the story, but it's still making it entertaining through the performances and the filmmaking. I feel like Vice had everything it needed. It could have just toned down on the on the preachy side of things. It could have, but I can say like that's definitely a fault for it. But my biggest fault with it is it comes off less like the Big Short and more like a YouTube kind of you know video. Yeah, this uh, it, it comes off as a um less less parody like college humor version of how Dick Cheney came up. Right. You know what I mean? And not no disrespect to college humor. They're great for what they do. But I wouldn't want to see college humor make a film about Dick Cheney. You know right. what I mean? In a serious toned kind right. of thing. Yeah. Like I, I the big short, the comedy came from how absurd everything was. In Vice they tried to make comedy out of what was going on. Yeah, yeah. It's a different tone to it. It's same kind of like presentation, everything like that. It just comes off more YouTubey to me. I, I don't mean that like negatively, but mm. kind of do. I don't know about YouTubey. I feel it comes off more. Uh, hmm. YouTubey is really that's really being hard on it. I don't know about. <laughs> I, I don't know if I say YouTubey. So what are you trying to say here? Like it's the, like. It, the editing with it and the way that it presents everything, it kind of just comes off as like a YouTube comedian doing a bit and mm. kind of continually doing that and getting his friends in on it and everything like that. Uh, what was the one app that was like the six vine? It almost comes off like as a series of vines connected together. Wow. I didn't, I didn't get that effect from it, but I mean, when you look at films that like, like, like that that have high parody in it like a lot of parody and you mm-hmm. can tell they're making fun of their subject like art of the, art of the deal where johnny depp yes. played john donald trump you know that film is against donald trump but it works yeah you know what i mean it works because funnier die made that film another will ferrell production company it works because you know you know what you're getting into with this you know that look we're not taking the art of the deal seriously where we're putting Trump back in the heyday of the 80s and saying, yeah, look at this guy and how he came up. But ignore these glaring, glaring facts right here because, you know, those don't matter. You yeah. know, like, it, it knows what it's doing. Vice knows what it's doing, too. I think it's doing too much of the preachiness. It's doing, it's doing too much of what it's doing, if it makes sense. Does that make sense? I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. It goes too far into trying to you know be preachy about the facts as it's presenting the facts Mm -hmm. so you shouldn't be if you're going to present the facts as they are you should just present them that way instead he had like little comments to make on every little thing that he was doing is kind of and this was bad i didn't like this and we can let them speak for himself for themselves yeah like yo he did this no i'm gonna let you soak this in yeah, and it's kind of where the difference between the Big Short and Vice comes in. Big Short kind of just kept giving you the facts and the comedy and like the shock value came from seeing exactly what's going on without... And that and, this happened. Yeah, and the only time that they would really cut it off is to go, okay, so you probably don't understand what that meant. So here's, you know, Selena right. Gomez at a casino to kind of explain what this, why this is bad. And then it go back to the movie where it wouldn't be preachy about what was going on. It would just kind of be like, this is happening. You know, this is what these characters are experiencing. There wasn't 
side commentary to tell people what they were thinking, they would just say it themselves or show yeah. it. I think a film should make a stance in some cases. Like, um, and I'm not going to bring another outside example in, but um, I, I want to say, so Big Short, one out of five. Like out of five, what do you give it? Oh, I would give it a five. Okay. I, I'd say the strong, strong four, lenient towards 4.5. It takes a lot for me to give a film a five. It takes a lot. Um, Vice. Uh, I would say 3.5, 4. I'd say solid three. Really? Solid three. Solid okay. three. Um, I, I lean towards 3.5 with the performances, but with the execution, I'd say solid three. Yeah, I can say I definitely enjoyed Vice a lot more the first time I watched it. When I watched mm-hmm. it the second time, I was kind of a little bit less, in, you know, it was less enjoyable to a way. Like The Big Short, I can watch that one over and over, and it's always enjoyable. Vice, by the second time I watched it, I was kind of like, okay, this is this is more just jokey comedy. And yeah, there's a couple good scenes and everything like that. The actors are all perfect, but it just comes off as too campy versus reality. Yeah. How many times does this guy have a heart attack? How many times can you have a heart attack and live through that and keep pushing? Eventually getting somebody else's heart. His new heart. (laughs) Right. Hats off to him, man. I mean, hats off to him on that because he, 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 Dick Dick kept pushing. Oh, yeah. He changed a lot of things. For better or worse, he made a lot of changes happen Mm -hmm. in government. So he is a prominent figure even in today's government. Yeah. I can almost, I'm trying to think of what the one movie was of uh, Black Klansmen. It, it almost comes off as preachy as that. You know what? I and I and I knew. Um, shout out to your previous podcast, The Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. Was that it? Yep. Yeah. Like I know you, you and your uh, co-host talked about that movie. You know what, man? I didn't have a problem with Black Klansmen's preachy like montage ending. I feel like it was a powerful preachy ending. It was powerful, but I I still don't like it. I think yeah. it should have cut off at, uh, I'm trying to remember, it kind of starts off kind of going, and this happened, and then it should have cut off there. Instead, it was like, oh, and then here's all the stuff with the Trump rallies and everything. I was like, ah, okay, I get what you were going for with the entire movie. You didn't have to add that in. You know, yeah. you could have cut right before that, and it would have been the perfect ending to me. Instead, it just overstayed its welcome and just became overly preachy. Like the guy at the end of the road with a sign, and you're just like, okay, I can see it. And then all of a sudden, he's like shoving it in your face, and you're like, okay, can you stop now? It's This is annoying. The Charlottesville thing, I feel like that... I feel like that was necessary for what Spike was going for. When you want right. to tie the past to the present, that's necessary. Um, but as far as like... Because, you know, Spike has a, he has an up-and-down thing of that where he always has the preachy ending. Oh, yeah. Uh, sometimes it works. You know, at the end of school days, you had Lawrence Fishburne yelling, Wake up! Which was great. But then you, at the end of Jungle Fever, you had uh, Wesley Snipes holding a young, you know, prostitute girl saying, No! Yeah. And the camera's coming, rushing up to him. And I'm like, that was too much yeah he he's all over the place sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't i this movie came or vice and black klansmen have that same kind of like over preachiness to them and not so much like oh it's too liberal viewpoint or too conservative viewpoint or whatever it's just preachiness 
that well, comes off as annoying well, to I me. Will, I will raise you, sir. The main difference is Black Klansmen came in the last five minutes. It, it did. Vice was throughout. Right. That, the preachiness was throughout. I'll 100% agree with that. Black Klansmen, like I said, if they just cut off that last like three minutes, perfect movie, 100%. Mm-hmm. But that like last three minutes of just pure preachiness is like, God damn, why, why did you have to do that, man? You, <laughs> you had a perfect movie, and now you just made me annoyed. <laughs> right, right. It's cold in here, man. A little bit. It's a little, it's a little cold. Uh, so, uh, what are you seeing lately, man? Uh, so, when I was going through all my Blu-rays to find the big short, I actually found another uh, Will Ferrell movie, a non-Adam McKay Will Ferrell movie that I was like, I haven't seen this in a while. Everything has to go. I've heard of that. How is that movie? It's actually really good. It's one of those, like... Everything must go. Everything must go. That's mm-hmm. what it is. It's... The entire premise is Will Ferrell loses his job and he loses his wife in like the same day. Mm-hmm. So he's like locked out of his house and everything like that. Like, and he goes, breaks into his own house and he like has to get all his stuff together and everything to leave. And he's just kind of like, I don't know. I don't want to do, or no, she threw all his stuff on the front lawn. And he's like, I don't want to deal with this and everything like that. And the entire premise is he's, like people start coming up to the you know yard and going oh how much for that and everything he's like i it's not for sale nothing's for sale well you're having like a yard sale and stuff so while he's dealing with like his lost wife not having a job right now and everything like that it, he has to kind of like repiece his life together while watching like all his stuff go and it kind of has a comedic effect where he like hires some kid to sell his stuff for him right, while right, he's like right. going off and dealing with like divorce and everything with his wife and it's really good. I enjoy it a lot. So that's more on the dramatic side of things. Yeah, it's one of Will Ferrell's more dramatic movies. Okay. Uh, I remember seeing it because Will Ferrell was in it and it was around the same time that he made that uh movie from Mexico. Uh I'm trying to remember the name. Casa de I know what you're talking yeah, about. Casa de something. And it was like, oh, that was a really good movie. And then I was like, oh, here's another Will Ferrell movie that came out that I never heard anything about. And I watched it. So he does well? He does very well. Okay. I definitely like his performance in that one. It's not classic Will Ferrell. It's more kind of like the Jim Carrey, like, here's comedy. Here's, you know, him being more realistic. Yeah, Jim Carrey, man, he's a he he's he's a immense talent, man. I heard like with this new Sonic film, he just went back to the '90s Carrey with his oh, 100%. comedy. percent. He was the best part of that movie. One hundred percent. I gotta check it out, man. My girl told me it was good. Um, what did I see recently? Uh, recently, I, did I tell you I saw the photograph. The photograph with Issa Rae and Lakeith Stanfield. When did that one come out? Uh, it was recent. Um, so it's um, it's a it's a black romance film. You know, uh, it, it's a predominantly black cast. And I don't know if you ever seen a film called Love Jones. Love Jones. It was a famous. It was a cult film back in the '90s with Lorenz Tate and Nia Long. But it's a film where these two um, these two black characters they fall in love, and it's a romance film. But it, it had like a poetry uh, poetry feel to it because they were both poets. Okay. Or one of the characters were poets. So with this film, the photograph, it, it was a, it was it was a nicely told rom- romantic film, and I, I I enjoyed the way it was made. You know, one character, you know, she's dealing with the loss of her mother, um, who was a who was a photographer, and you know, she's she's trying to get in a relationship with this guy who's doing interviews with her, based because her mother was famous, mm-hmm. and uh, she's falling in love with him, and she's also thinking back to her mom who was on the verge of falling in love with somebody, but she had her own complications with love. 
like being like emotionally distant and stuff like that or being scared to take a leap um it was a it was a well done romantic film i i like the chemistry between Issa Rae and lakeith stanfield okay i'm gonna have to check that one out because i haven't seen that one before yeah you know what film i'm thinking about checking out i know i'm late to the party it's been out a long time um uh edge of tomorrow that one is really good they say it's good i want to check it out today because I, cause I told you, man, I told you my theory, man. Uh, Tom Cruise, you know, even if the film is bad, he's always good. Yeah. He is the reason that Mission Impossible is still a thing. Definitely. It, the Mission Impossible movies, eh, they're okay. Tom Cruise is fantastic in every one of those movies. Dude, the best thing to, com- uh, to, to, go in, to go in comparison with that theory, the Bourne series. Now, I like Jeremy Renner. Don't get me wrong. I like him. Mm-hmm. But when he was the lead in one of the Bourne films after Matt Damon took a break, I was like, this ain't. It didn't work. This ain't Bourne. Yeah. This ain't Bourne. I like Jeremy, but he ain't good for this. So, I agree. Yeah, when you got somebody in that series, like that's like if Ben Affleck re- re- replaced Tom Cruise. Ben Affleck, I like Ben Affleck, but it, it Mission Impossible work. is Cruise. Uh I can say the only time where it's kind of like hesitant for somebody replacing another is like the James Bond movies. Okay. But it always seems to work. Like the first movie is always a little bit rocky, but the second movie, it, it starts to work a yeah, little like bit. Yeah, like I wasn't a big Casino Royale film, but, you know, of course the films got better with Quantum of Solace and, you know, Skyfall. You know, everybody yeah. loved what Sam Mendes did with it. So I, I agree with that, you know, and Pierce Brosnan, <laughs> as bad as those movies were, I like Pierce Brosnan. You yeah. know, he's a he's solid Bond. And uh, the next Bond movie has actually been delayed until November? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we can touch on it if you want. You know, the the coronavirus. Well, it's going to be a big thing, especially for the movie industry and everything, because everything's being delayed. Yeah. A Quiet Place was delayed to whenever. I don't think there's a new release date on that one attached yet, which sucks, because we had a screening for it in two days before it got canceled. Right, right, right. We were going to check it out. Uh, then there was the James Bond got pushed to November, I want to say. Uh, Fast and the Furious is pushed until next year. You know, this is kind of a blessing in disguise because that means, you know, I, I haven't been going to the movies as much lately, even before the coronavirus outbreak, mm-hmm. because I, I haven't had many things that have like made me want to go out. Like, I want to see The Invisible Man, and I will see it. That I, one's actually really good. Yeah, I heard great things. Uh, I want to see The Hunt. You know, because uh, that movie got canceled. I keep forgetting that that movie actually ended up coming out because that mm-hmm. one was delayed three times. I want to say it was only delayed once because oh, um, okay. because I remember uh, I think President Trump uh, protested against it, and there were a lot of right wing people that protested, saying, "You know, this film was against." Uh, oh, I want to say that was the second time it got delayed. The first time it got delayed was because it would have overlapped with a big movie, and they were like, "Okay, we're gonna push it off a oh, little okay. bit," and then it was gonna release in like. Feb or no, it was gonna release late last year at some point, and then it got delayed again. Okay, and I want to say there was another time. Maybe that was it. Just the two delays. Okay, because I remember it getting delayed one time because it was gonna go up against like a big movie was announced for the right, same kind right. of day, and they were like, okay, it it's either we release there and get like nothing, or we kind of delay it a couple months and we'll be good. I tell you one thing, man. As soon as soon as this outbreak kind of goes down, uh, I'm going to see Invisible Man: The Hunt. Those are two films I really want to see. So tell me about the Invisible Man, Lee Whannell. How do you do? Uh oh, absolutely amazing. Okay, I, I loved. Uh, I, I like the performances in this one. I can't remember who the female Elizabeth Lee. Moss. 
Yeah, she was a little bit uh, iffy in some scenes. Really? Because she's always great. She was really good in some parts. She, but know, she some... knows how to play an unhinged character. Yeah. There were some parts where it just came off as a little bit too much, like a okay. little overacting kind of bit. Okay. Uh, not so much to ruin the movie, but enough that like a scene can go like, oh, okay, okay. And then the next scene you're like, oh, okay, we're back on track now. Uh, but I kind of actually like this interpretation of the Invisible Man because it's a very like technology-focused mm-hmm. version. So it's got those same kind of... I wouldn't even call this one a horror movie. I'd call it more thriller. I can't remember that's if what it, I, That's what I keep hearing. It's more thriller. It, it Yeah, because I'm not a huge fan of horror movies because horror movies are very like, we're going to do a jump scare and then you're going to go, ah, and then it's we're just going to do nothing for two more hours until the next jump scare. Uh, this one, you're kind of always like on the edge of your seat going, oh man, what's going to do? He could pop up any time, literally. And that's kind of nice. And then the times that he does pop up, it's... I don't want to spoil the movie. That's the thing. It's yeah, hard to kind of like describe without spoiling it, but um, he they do a very good like tension throughout the entire movie. Of yeah. He could be anywhere at any given time. Yeah. And you won't know until all of a sudden that knife gets thrown across the room. So so crafty filmmaking like so I guess Lee Winnell is taking some notes from James Wan. Yes. His buddy who they both started uh with Saw. Yep. Yeah, cuz uh yeah. yeah. Not as gory. There's I'm not one for, like, a lot of blood or goriness mm-hmm. in movies. Uh, like, when I saw The Green Room without knowing what that movie was going to be about, I left that one going, oh, God, I shouldn't have seen that. I, You know, we got to have an intervention with you in The Green Room. We got to mention <laughs> that on one of these episodes so you can, you can tell me, like, what you really feel about this movie, like, when you first saw it. But um, Invisible Man, so uh, good follow-up to Upgrade, Lee Winnell's last film. Uh... I will say I liked Upgrade more. Okay. Uh, but it's a good movie still. Okay. okay. So I would say I still enjoyed Upgrade more than Invisible Man, but Invisible Man is definitely – it's one of those movies I enjoyed watching. I'm probably not going to watch it again, though. That gives me some pause. So I should – is it worth seeing? It's worth seeing 100%, okay. but it's not one with rewatchability kind of value to it. Because once you know all the strokes of where everything is, it's not going to be as good. Like I think Cloverfield – or 10 Cloverfield Lane is like one of the few kind of like thriller movies that I can go through and see again and again, even knowing all the notes of where everything happens. That movie just has great writing, just with the yeah. character development and just keeping it contained – Oh, like, yeah. I love 10 Cloverfield Lane. Oh, yeah. 100%. Um, I feel with some films, when you know the twist, you can still watch it over and over again. And I feel like... Well, it's not so much the twist. It's just the notes of, like, this happens at this time. This happens right. at this time. And it's so laid out, like, perfectly that you can memorize exactly how things happen, which is a good note for the movie that you can actually remember everything that occurs. But I can see myself on the second like watch going, okay, and this is where she goes, and this is where the thing, and this is where this happens. Okay. I say it like this, man. Um, you know, comparing Gone Girl to Dark Knight, like I love in the Dark Knight where the guy is standing by the window. I forgot which character it was, but he's standing by the window and he's talking to somebody. And out of nowhere, the body just falls against the glass. Like you know the um. Oh, he's uh, Jim Gordon, and then it's the Batman Joker face kind of thing. Right, that, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and, the, and the body just falls against the glass. That was a great scare, jump scare moment in a, in a comic book film. Yeah. Whereas with Gone Girl, you know, I don't know if it's as fun to second watch around because you, you know where this film is leading to. Have you seen Gone Girl? Yeah. 
you know where this film is leading to. You know what the major twist is. Whereas when you look at a film like Seven, you know what the major twist is, but you love going for the ride. I feel like with Gone Girl, it's like, eh. So this is the scene where Ben Affleck does this. Yeah. Rose, Roseman Pike it, does this. It you has know. the same kind of thing yeah. where it's like, first time watching it, really good. Right. I can see the second time watching it just being very critical of everything because I already know what's going to happen. And it's kind of like, okay, well, let's see how they lead into this. Okay, well, I, I guess it's not led into that well as I thought it was, but because it was all new at the time. But like, I'd still recommend seeing it. It's like the moments you expect in an Upgrade or a Dark Knight or a, or a, um, a Seven, you love those moments. Those moments yeah. are memorable to you. Even when you see them again over and over you still say, man, that was, that was a great moment. Whereas with Gone Girl, okay, this was to further advance the plot. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I highly recommend seeing it still. But it's probably, sadly, going to be one of those movies that isn't really talked about much in the future unless they do something with that whole universal monsters world that they're trying to create. I think that caps it off there, man. Hey, my vote, um, one against the other, I, my vote is with Big Short, you know. Uh, Vice wasn't a bad follow-up, but I think Big Short was the winner in this situation. Where, where, you, where are you lying at? I'd have to agree 100%. Uh, Big Short is still one of my favorite movies. Probably one of my favorite Adam McKay movies. Even. Okay. Uh, I think the only movie that can beat that one is uh, Step Brothers. <laughs> I think that's my top Adam McKay movie. I gotta Second s- one is Big Short. Compared to the... Listen, man, and I know I'm in the minority here, but compared to Anchorman and Talladega Nights, I don't think Step Brother is 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 as good, man. Really? I feel like that came at a point where we had the great uh, Will Will Ferrell and and, and John C. Riley team ups, right? Yeah. And you had this movie, which was really great, but it's like you kind of had one ridiculous joke after another, like playing the balls on the drums, yeah. which, which is funny, but then it's like, eh. And then you had John C. Rowdy sleeping with old boy's wife while, while they're having dinner and stuff. And I'm like, this movie is just kind of dumb. Oh, <laughs> like, see, I enjoyed that dumb comedy. About I, I, it. I enjoy it, but I was like, all right, this was a time in film where they start, they, they started to tone down on the dumbness. Like, like even Judd Apatow was like, all right, let me, let me smarten up a little bit with my comedy and get more emotional. Yeah. <laughs> like, let, let, let me make things more emotional. Uh, yeah, I like Step Brothers, but it was kind of like, yeah, that was when the Will Ferrell and John C. Riley thing tried, started to tank a little bit where y'all doing too much. Yeah. I, I can agree that it, it was a lot, but that's kind of what makes me like it. Did you <laughs> see Holmes and Watson? I did not. I skipped that one. Yeah, I avoided that one, too. I, I even had, like, a press invite to that one, and I was like, no, nah, I'm good. Damn, you, you have, damn, that shows you when a movie is bad, when you avoid the press invite. When, when I can literally walk into the theater for free, like, a week early, and you'd be no like, wait. Nah, and, and then I'm turn like, around. Nah, it's not worth my time. I'm just going <laughs> to. Just walk in for five seconds be like, nah. <laughs> just turn right back around. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. But yeah. All right, man. That caps that off, man. Uh, where can they find us? Um, We need to still create uh, Facebook and everything like that. Okay. We'll cut this part out in the audio. Oh, yeah. We'll cut All this right, part man. Out. That about caps it. <laughs> Welcome to uh, another episode of A versus B Double Feature. Um, thank you for listening to us. Uh, have a great one. Be safe out there. You know. Don't be swayed by all the fear in the media. Still go see films, but, you know, sanitize the seats. All right, fellow moviegoers, see you later.